Hey guys, I'm Anand Chempi from AnandTech.com. Uh, I'm here with Brian Kluke, our senior smartphone editor. Hey everyone. We are live from CES 2014 at Intel's booth. Uh, thanks to Intel for, for loaning us the studio and the space. And we have, a, a for a very short time, we have a very special guest, Herman Oyl. Um, you're a VP and GM of the mobile and comms group at Intel. Um, yep. And you've got, we only have you for like 10 minutes, but you've got to run to do some important stuff. As but, always. Yeah. <laughs> but this I'm, is important as well. No, I appreciate that. Um, so how's the show been for you? You guys had a, a bunch of kind of mobile announcements. I know you guys typically do stuff at MWC, but how's the show been so far? Yeah, so we are now a day in the show, yeah. and the show has been great so far. Yeah. So we had a great keynote yesterday, a lot of announcements, and today we have a lot of questions about this and what uh, customers can do with that beyond our normal product roadmap that we are currently working on. Okay, so let's talk about the normal product, product roadmap for a bit. The big question is obviously we got Merrifield coming. So we saw Bay Trail at the end of last year. Um, I think it was one of the most promising moves we've seen from Intel uh, you know, since the, the beginning of Adam. Uh, now obviously the phone version of that is coming pretty soon. Can you give us any updates on that? I can. So on Baytrail, we are launching now many customers on Windows and on Android. Right. And uh, So we yeah. haven't seen any Android yet. Will we see any of that at the show? Sure, sure. Okay. Just go around and we show you multiple of them. And uh, they are live at the show here. And, and they'll be shipping this quarter? or Customers are shipping them. Okay. And they also announce platforms on this one. Okay. So and on the, on the phone version, if you want, Merrifield, it can do phones and tablets. Right. That, that is what it's designed for. And this is a two-core solution. It comes 64-bit, and uh, we go full, full steam 64-bit on this one. So will they? So 64-bit is a challenging thing to do in phones right now, right? If you're, especially if you're not Apple, right? So how is that going to work? Are all the Merrifield platforms going to be 64-bit enabled out of the box, and then there's a software discussion later on, or That's how does that work? We are working now with, with Google and with our customers right. on how we do that. But uh, there's a lot of work there that... No, there's, how do you deal with there not being any 64-bit Android, essentially? Uh, no, it's not. Right. But we have devices running in our labs, and I can show you one nice. uh, if, if you want, which is a Merrifield. It has a 64-bit kernel on it and oh. a 32-bit uh, Google on it, right. flaw, uh, working flawlessly. So everything what we can do, and we can do a lot of enablement work, that is what we are doing. So And that is where we are heads-on to really make this work, make that stable, and make that mature. So 64-bit is slightly different for you guys, right? Because <clears throat> you guys have already made that 64-bit transition on the desktop, and the, the performance uplift isn't necessarily you know, what we saw in the ARM space, right? There's a, there's a fundamental ISA difference over there, whereas on the x86 space, uh, it's much more about memory addressability. Where do you see the use cases for 64-bit in phones that are x86? So the, the use cases usually come in uh, more heavy computing stuff, rendering stuff, uh, transporting applications, there's where we see the 64-bit benefit. Uh, truly, as long as the apps are not 64-bit, yeah. the, the benefit is fairly limited, but this will come. And uh, we have a lot of 64-bit uh, history. Uh, as we speak, this quarter, we bring the 64-bit Windows tablets uh, into the market, so that's done. Nice. We have, uh, we have done so many 64-bit conversions before. Yeah. Uh, some people came and teased me in a way as, oh, okay, another 64-bit uh, <laughs> enablement. But this will be uh, something which is fairly complex because all the apps have to get around this. And uh, while on the other hand, we have a big uh, software 
uh, system behind our today systems, which is all 64-bit. Yeah. So, so the, the tablet story is a little different, right? Because you, you know, there you have this existing 64-bit Windows install base. You know, you start di distributing this out into like enterprise and, and business users, and, and there it's kind of a more seamless fit. Sure. And tablets is a priority of us, so yeah. we go with this. But on the phone space, same thing, and we will come. I do not think that the uh, Android system and this ecosystem will go in steps. This will go one in one step. Interesting. Wow. So you think it's going to be a very quick transition to 64-bit? I believe so. Any idea when you think that'll be? I believe that is this year. Really? Wow. That is what I bet on. That's good. That's oh. good. The technology is there. So yeah. why should we wait? Usually we, we want to have technology much, much faster than we ever can develop it. Yeah. And uh, uh, this time it's the other way around. We have the technology. So ready right. to go. So there was another announcement at the end of last year, uh, a project called Sophia. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's, we didn't get a chance to cover it publicly yet, but now we can kind of do that here. Can you tell us a little bit about Sophia? Yeah, Sophia is targeting the uh, entry part of the smartphone segment. Yeah. And we bring this to the market towards the end of the year. It comes in two steps, in the 3G version and quickly followed by an LTE version. And uh, with this, we go also into the mass market volume of the smartphones. So Sophia is interesting because it's a, it's an Infineon SOC that you guys have put IA into, right? That is true. Uh, we have derived it from our ultra successful feature phone platforms. Yeah. They have been optimized over years on cost competitiveness. They have a high integration level, which is unbeaten. Yeah. And uh, we took that platform and said, have that you, is the right launch pad. Have you guys publicly announced what core you're putting in there? We have not publicly announced, okay. but I can at least come back to the former theme, and it's 64-bit. Okay, oh, so nice. that's that's kind of cool, because that, that platform has always been a cost effective platform, right? Yep. So you don't have high performance cores in there to begin it, begin with, but yep. you guys only have one 64-bit yep. mobile core. Uh, that's cool. And yep. and you guys are also aren't talking about what GPU that you put in there as well. Uh, we have not uh, released that publicly. Okay. But you. assume it is an entry device, okay. so it's not hunting for the highest uh, GPU performance, rather for exactly what that market needs. Gotcha. Well, I know you got to run. They're they're kind of giving me signals, so I want to uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Having me here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So cool. now we can get back to all of the stuff <laughs> we've been working on. That was awesome. Um, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, so unrelated to mobile, I did a whole bunch of work on Mac Pro right, over right. the holidays, like literally Christmas Eve. I like took a little bit of time Christmas Day to not work on the Mac Pro, but then worked on it nonstop. I'm curious, what do you think about that design, right? Like, cause you, you. Yeah, I don't, I don't like how everybody just talks about it being like a trash can. Yeah. Um, which now, now I just did. No, you know, I don't mind the idea at all. I think that there's a lot of focus on it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's better to see, obviously, the platform starting to move on into something else. Yeah. And that Apple has grand vision for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess you can sort of read into the new ideas there as, as a statement that, you know, hey, this is something we're committed to. We're going to continue evolving. Yeah. Um, well, for yeah, me, I, think, like I feel a, like people focused entirely on that too much. But Yeah, so for me, you know, if you look at the options, there were there are a lot of people that just wanted the big box again. Right. And I get that, but at the same time, yeah. I, 
I don't know, I feel like that already exists in the market, sure. right? Maybe it doesn't run OS 10, but it already exists in the market. Right. What doesn't exist in the market is like really, really good innovation at this small form factor level. Right. right? Even in the PC space, it's beyond frustrating that uh, all we have are these like mini ITX chassis that are more or less unimaginative, right? right. Like they're just, I don't know, they, they look like either variants of those old shuttle boxes or you know, they're kind of really, really tiny and just a pain to work in. Right, Like right. there's, and it's it's one of the downsides to, you know, having this like insane amount of standardization, right? In that, you know, everyone wants these blocks that they can move and put everywhere, but no right. one's willing to kind of go out on a limb and design something I, weird. I think it's the evolution of obviously the focus on mobile and integration that results in, you know, parts that like they made their own GPU form factor. Yeah. They made their own form factor for obviously the motherboard, yep. you know. Uh, Obviously, power supply is not standard, too. Yeah. So I think the reality is that, yeah, a lot of that, you know, I've kind of resigned myself. Initially, there was some, like, I was against sort of that happening to notebooks. No, I know. I you remember know, Two that. and a half inch drives going away, dims going away. Now I kind of understand more why, you know, that, that decision was made from an engineering perspective. Yeah. And I'm not saying I think it's the best thing in the world for the long term. Obviously, yeah. we do make some sacrifices. But are the trade-offs worth it when you actually end up using it? Um, I don't know. It's 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 definitely something to you know consider. Yeah. And I think that that's that's what you see reflected in the Mac Pro. I, so I thought the shared heatsink design was the the more I used it, the more I'm like, hey, this is actually really yeah. cool. Um, well, initially, I think initially we were really concerned because it's like, hey, sharing you know sharing the thermal load across the same core is going to yeah. result in other things getting warmer when they're not being used and adding to thermal stresses, but it seemed you seem pretty pleased with it now. Yeah, it was all right. So the the perspective I didn't have was, you know, I, I was concerned about thermal load, right? Right. And in using it... Even though you made it throttle once. I did you make had to, it like, throttle. push it really hard. Yeah, with, like, 24 threads of Prime 95 right. and, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, running Furmark. Yeah. And, you know, some people, you know, I, I saw a lot of commenters saying that, you know, Furmark is totally a valid workload. But you got to remember, this was a workload that even the GPU vendors treat like a power virus, right? Sure, and, sure. And, you know, have to cap it on their own end. Right. Um, well, and I think it's possible to make anything throttle. Absolutely, right? I mean, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, the, the one obvious thing is there are still, in terms of heterogeneous compute, like, there are not many apps that are just really targeting all three cores. Right. Uh, and as a result, that... A shared heatsink makes a lot of sense. Right, right. right? Like, it's it actually, towards the end... Like of the a shared TDP, essentially. Exactly. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the extension of the CPU with integrated everything else. Sure. Right? CPU and graphics on one die. If you want more performance, why not have CPU and graphics on one die, graphics on another die, and then a shared right. thermal unit? Right, um, What I thought was interesting is that, you know, initially I said I wanted the 12-core just to be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but obviously the... You know, the better part of the optimization curve is really one of the other two, the eight yeah. or you know, a four yeah. even. Or a six. Or right. a six, right. Yeah, the turbo states are it's interesting to me that like they don't all follow the exact same turbo core right. down. Yeah. Which indicates that there's like there's clearly some there is a penalty that you pay sure. right, as you go to these higher core counts. Turbo isn't infallible. Right. Um, but yeah, the the one thing that I didn't really have good perspective on that I got as I was working on this. You know, I, I'm talking to Ryan Smith, our, our GPU editor, and, you know, I'm talking about the specs and the configuration, and he's like, oh, those are low-end GPUs. Uh-huh. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, even the highest-end GPUs, sure. he, from his perspective, those are low-end GPUs. Right. Because, you know, he's used to reviewing 780 Ti's yeah. and 290X's. And when you look at it through that perspective, yeah, maybe the shared thermal load isn't that big of a deal. Sure. Right? Because these aren't, like, 
350 it's not, watts. It's not, you, yeah, something absurd. That also brings up the interesting point of um, what do you do next generation? Right. Right? Because like you have to wait for a process node shrink. Otherwise, like we're already teetering at the or edge. You just here. extrude it, and make it really tall. It's yeah, like, I see a lot of people saying that. I don't think that's going to that. happen. Yeah, I, I don't see that either. Just extrude it. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, they're yeah. just going to make it bigger," but yeah. I feel like this is clearly a very expensive thing to tool, right? Yeah, and, and they're Apple building to redesign the their chassis exactly more than you know once every two years. Yeah, but I was pretty pleased. Like this was the first platform, first Ivy Bridge EEP platform that I've used where all PCIe lanes were in use. Right. Right. Like normally when I reviewed Ivy Bridge E, I was like, "There's a lot of PCIe. I just don't need it." Sure. Um, but here, literally everything was put to use, right. which I thought was kind of cool. Um, well, I got really behind on the talk. Yes. I was still working on talk, so how's that? which I'm You're wearing. wearing yeah, I'm wearing it. Um, it's got the color Mirasol display. I don't, I don't think you'll be able to see it on the video, but so it's an interesting watch. Like, why is that an interesting type of display? So it, it, it's, it's a reflective display. It's not emissive. Okay. Um, so what that means is that to show color, you need light to shine on it. So they have a front light. Um, that you can toggle on by tapping on the on this part of the band. Oh, okay. And that shines light into it, or when you're outside, light naturally shines into it. So how is outdoor viewing performance and stuff like that? Oh, it's excellent. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah. But the, I mean, obviously, the best part is that it, it sort of marries what's good about um, like the pebble type displays, like yeah. the e e um, e, e paper. Yeah, there's a, there's e paper and e ink, and always get them confused. Yeah, yeah. But I believe it's e paper is what's in the in the pebble. But it's it's kind of like an LCD. Yeah. That they refresh every couple seconds or so. Okay. Um, but this works the same way in that it doesn't cost a lot of power to hold the same image. Yeah. And it's an interesting methodology that they have. That they have these essentially every pixel is like a an interferometer, of a Fabry Perot. So you can turn the pixel on and off yeah. by moving this membrane up and down. And that changes the way your cavity resonates. And that will move it to being either on or off. And you still need subpixels yeah. to show color. So they still have subpixels. But uh, you can create this color you know, sort of appearance. And it's a little bit muted, but it's interesting because it... It's sort of an, a place in between the two extremes right now. Yeah, which is, you know, we have Samsung with, like, just a straight-up OLED screen. Right. Um, and then, you know, we have, like, the Pebble type of devices. Yeah, black and white, no, not even grayscale. Yeah. So I think that alone makes it interesting, just yeah. the display. Um, and battery life is great, too. It's, like, it's on the order of a week. That's I was good. measuring between 8 and 10% drain per day. Okay. So, I mean, you can easily get 10 days out of it. So is that... You know, you had some comments around that with Galaxy Gear, where you were sure. like, "Look, it, you know, the if it's to be a watch, it needs to last more than whatever six right. hours." Right. Yeah, I was making the argument that if it doesn't last at least a week, or you know, more than is that the more threshold? than a smartphone charge cycle, which is like once a day or once every one point five days. So, what is the threshold for you? What's the minimum for it to be a viable product? I would I say a week. Yeah. Just if I'm going to pick an arbitrary number, I would say five days. Five days display on the entire time, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's not a watch if it doesn't show the time all the time. Yeah, no, I agree with it's that. It's a connected accessory. Yeah, yeah I agree with or, that. Or a wearable, you know, whatever we're going to call wearable. But so I, I, I saw some people on Twitter actually bringing that up, right? That, hey, these things aren't designed to be watches. They're, it's a right. different type of thing. I don't know if I agree with that. It's worn on my wrist. It shows the time. It's a watch. And from my perspective, it's even called a watch. I'm not going to put anything on my wrist unless it... Like, it's got to do more for me. Like, it has yeah. to at least, bare minimum, it has to serve the purpose of a watch. Right. You know, and I, I started the review out just by saying that, and it's not published yet, but that all of this is really very nascent, and even the base feature set, yeah. we don't really know what that is yet. Like, so, what are what are the user's expectations? 
for a watch. Like, yeah. delivering notifications is maybe, you know, the most basic thing. Yeah. Telling time, obviously even more basic. Um, you know, call screening seems to be something that you need to have. Yeah. And those are, that's kind of it, really. Like, well, so it's you, not really defined beyond that. Like, pedometer, you've nobody been, has a health and fitness story. Yeah, you've you know? been uh, saying this a lot, actually, at the show, which is all of this is premature. It's very premature, yeah. Um, well, and the think, only one. I mean, what about form factor, right? Sure. Like, so Google, obviously, this is the form factor they prefer, yeah. and that works for people like me. Even and though I, I think I think they'll have a watch too eventually. Yeah. But do you think like if if one form factor is clearly going to be the one that gets the social adoption is easier with a watch and is something that's worn on your face. Interesting. And that that's you, ultimately do you think that's the, true. Even even if they shrink it to where it's kind of. Uh, well, I don't know how much you can shrink glass even more without it just still being something on your face. Okay. You know? I mean, so wearing think, a watch, is, it's like it looks like a normal watch. Yeah. What about, like, some sort of, like, necklace? Yeah, I don't know if I'd wear a like pendant. Like a flavor Although, you know, I've seen, I've seen pendants that are cameras. Yeah. You know, like, we saw, I saw one today at um, Amberella. Yeah. They have um, a camera for Google Helpouts. Yeah. Essentially, like, Hangouts, but instructing. And it, it gives you the use, the utility of your arms. Yeah. So that you can, you know, have a camera showing what you're working on and also use your arms. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that sort of stuff makes sense. Do you need a display? Because Intel did that whole, like, uh, sure. wearable that's just a headpiece. Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions here that aren't really answered. And I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I'm not totally convinced that adding more screens is going to solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, I would rather have something that enriches my life by delivering just the right notification yes. at the right time. But so, to Like, wouldn't that, it be great if, like, Herman, he had to go and then, you know, you get to vibrate and that's... You know, like, it just knows or yeah, something yeah. like that. But so that argument, like, you almost have to have a software story then. Like, you can't. Right, yeah, You yeah, cannot yeah. be just a hardware wearable player. You have to, and you've you got to be an OS provider. More than that, provider. you have to own, yeah, you have to own the, the underlying platform. Yeah. Uh, or at least be able to make that body integrate the right APIs. Yeah. So um, that, that kind of leaves Microsoft, Apple, Google then. Yeah, you know, or I think, you know, to some extent, Google will be open to making the, the API open for everybody else. Yeah. I think even Apple, you know, they have API, you know, um, I forget the name of the new API now, yeah, but yeah. they will deliver all notifications over this sort of, this open channel, yeah. um, which Pebble uses, and, I, and we wrote about that. Uh, so I, I don't know that I would say that the OS partners are necessarily hostile yeah. to the idea of them not being, you know, having full ownership over this experience, but obviously they're the ones that need to make it possible before it's really credible. So you mentioned Pebble a couple times. You met with them today. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you're you're a Pebble owner, user... Yes, I mean, even though, I know, it's kind of weird. We never really formally reviewed it. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot. Like, things I don't fully understand what they are, I don't really write about in the same sort of format, because, number one, I don't know how to codify it totally. Uh, And number two, you know, at that point, Pebble was sort of, mis- you know, it wasn't fully fleshed out yeah. in the way it was today. But well, uh, that's, that's part of what we do, right? Like, it's, it's uh, I would rather not publish than publish something that is not, that I yeah, don't have a yeah. good grasp of. Well, and, you know, they're like, they're living, breathing pieces, and yeah. I don't want to say that that should live on forever, you know, based the my one week, you know, week <laughs> one into this, yeah. you know, like, because literally it was like first week in there, I got that thing. Uh, that my experiences then would mirror what I have now. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's very true. So they they launched a new SDK. They have a new um, they have an app store essentially. Okay. Uh, essentially everything that you know you can make the case they should have had at launch, 
uh, sort of has been flushed out now, like bi-directional communication for apps, yeah. uh, watch faces, you know, all that sort of, all that good, you know, enriched data services. What's the biggest feature in your eyes as a Pebble user? What's the thing you're most excited about? Um, I don't know. To me, the Pebble is still best at just delivering notifications and call screening. Okay. Like, its feature set it's is a little bit limited. it's still notification overload, right? Like, you can't... Yeah, although, you know, you can use, like, Pebble Notifier on Android and select what you want. Okay. Um, ultimately, yeah, I still think that, you know, selecting just the contact, per se, you know, and getting all the notifications from them yeah. isn't enough filtering for me. Okay. Like, I, I want contextual want? filtering, like, I get home, and it I doesn't deliver any notifications. Okay. Because, ostensibly, I'm on my computer... Or I could just walk to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I'm obviously driving my car. You know, only deliver calls, for example. Don't show me texts. Okay. Don't even provide the temptation, <laughs> right? Or, you know, I'm walking around. Give me everything, right? Okay. Um, so that sort of contextual Are those the three awareness. Modes to you? I don't. I think there's more, but you I'm not going to share all no, no, of them. No, that's fine. That's fine. But like, those are the easy cases that I. I think it's surprising nobody's really com- nailed down or maybe delivered a compelling example of. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, there's new hardware with Pebble. The- there, so there's the Pebble Steel, which yeah. um, retains essentially the same display, the same platform. Okay. So, you know, like apps that are built against the first version are also able to run the second version. Okay. Um, but it's it's metal, as the name sort of gives away. Okay. And it's got a nice band with a clasp. Which is that one was, of your original complaints. About. Yeah, one of my original frustrations is that, you know, the industrial design of all these watches is plasticky. Like, even this... It's kind of, you know, it's it's great, but it's obvious that it's kind of a technology demonstrator. Yeah. It's not really, a, like, a timepiece. Yeah. You know? So they're trying to make, you know, that step. I don't know if it's really to that level yet, but, I mean, it's glass now. Um, the band seems nice. The yeah. industrial design is a lot better. When do you, do you, you didn't get one yet? No, yeah, but uh, they they published their release date, and we'll, we'll write about it. And okay. We'll, we'll have a review this time, so, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then some phone stuff happened here, right, right? Right. So Asus announced, like a, they announced they're now a partner of AT and T. Right. Bring PadPhone X over here. Right. But which honestly, is awesome. Yeah. And we've been begging them to do that for like two years now. It's or? interesting to see Asus as a company, right? Because they were, you know, motherboard maker, but motherboard maker that transitioned to a notebook maker. Right. Notebook maker that transitioned to a successful notebook maker. Right. And then now they've made this kind of, or they're at the... Android, the, then at tablets, and now yeah. kind of this intermediary, and now phones. Yeah, they're like, they're they're now making that, you know, new mobile transition. Right. Um, so, PadPhone X comes to AT&T. It's got LTE. Uh, and it has Volte and yeah. carrier aggregation. So, Volte, is that active on AT&T right now? I don't think like, that's launched right now. Okay. I would expect that to launch the same time they launched... HD Voice, which they also said they'd launch. Yeah, okay. And okay. Um, I would have loved to be at the AT&T Dev Conference, but I, I know we, we had other stuff at the same time. Yeah. And it's impossible to be everywhere, but, yeah. So, they announced that, but honestly, what was really interesting to me is the rest of the stuff they announced. Sure. Right? So they yeah, announced me too, to be honest. The Zenfone family. So, there's a Zenfone, and these are all... And we've been pressuring them to make phones forever. Yes. And, yeah. in fact, like, technically, one of the first devices I ever held in this capacity, yeah. working for an OnTech, was... The Windows Phone 7 made by Asus. Yeah. Like, at Mix 9 or whatever that was. And, and prior 10. to that, I remember years ago, they got into, like, the Windows PDA space. Right, yeah, right? yeah. And, and they built all these, like, great, thin iPad alternatives. Right. And I, I remember just, like, being super happy about that. I feel like their bar was higher than what those products were. Yes. And that's the hesitation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so the Zenfone family shows up. These are all Clovertrail Plus devices. They all use Intel's, uh, I think, 6360. Nice. So not LTE. Yeah. Um, and 
they're available in like three different sizes. There's a four inch, uh, a five inch, and a six inch, which right. I think is that's the right combination. That's absolutely the right combination. Yeah. Um, the four inches, like they all feel really good for you know their first phones. Nice. Like they they feel really good. These are cheap phones, right? Like less than two hundred dollars for right. all of them. Not, not mass market mid range. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like the the ZenBook or the ZenPhone uh, four is starts at ninety nine bucks or something like right. that. Right. Wow. Right. So they these are super affordable phones. Right. Um, and I don't know. They all have decent screens. Were they all Were they all built pretty well? You thought they were all pretty nice. Yeah, wow. I thought so. Uh, they so they also have Zen UI, which is ASUS's their sure. customization for Android. Yeah. Not all of that was working, but you saw some of the screenshots that that we. Yeah, published. I didn't think it looked all bad. Yeah, I think I think it probably would have served them better to just go stock or. Really. You know. Yeah, that seems to be the trendy thing right now. And interesting. You know, obviously it costs less if you want to get to market really quick. Yeah. It's probably the right way to do it. See, I kind of Google got a good reaction. I mean, Motorola got a good reaction. That's true, and I think ultimately maybe everyone ends up there. But I feel like this right. is a great way of them establishing a brand identity. Sure. Right. And well, saying, they already had it, but I don't know what that was ever called. You know, like Padphone, kind of runs their own custom UI. Yeah, but it was. Very, I don't know that it was named. It was very similar to stock. Sure. Right. It's just slightly different. Yeah. Um, whereas this is like a, a dramatic visual wow. departure. Huh. Um, but yeah, all the phones felt decent. Uh, they're doing some Excuse sort me. of the uh, the Zenfone five and six do some sort of like low light pixel binning mode, um, right? Right. To, and and the effect, at least the one they demonstrated, was pretty impressive. Huh. Um, I mean, shots in low light go from being totally unusable to, hey, this sure. is not bad. They have f two point optics too. I yeah, think, right? absolutely. The on the higher phones on the uh, I think five and six, nice. not on the four. Um, but yeah, the camera's fast. The camera UI is all right. Um, it's I don't know. It's cool to see them doing it. I'm trying to. I keep telling them they need to sell them directly. Yeah, that's the thing is I would I would love to see them. You know, just go on Newegg and here's the phone. I think that would be awesome, or, especially if we're talking about like ninety nine bucks to two hundred dollars. Yeah, and it needs to have the right banding. You know, just give me all the banding you can get. Yeah. Um, or at least at the high end, just give me all the banding you can. Yeah. Because that's really my hesitation with Moto G is that you know there's so many variants of that thing. Yes. And. That's purely a function of cost. Yeah. Uh, and really, you know, if you want a lot of bands so that really, really have the economies of scale, yeah. which is one device, you need to also absorb all that cost by, you know, having this more expensive band set. Yeah. Um, which is sort of ironic, but I don't know. I don't know if they disclosed any of the bands for those phones. Or... No, I, they, they did actually at their booth. Um, and I have a list, but I haven't published right. it yet. Cool. Um, and, and all of them support the same bands. And uh, honestly, these ones aren't coming to the U.S. Unfortunately, sure. yeah. at some point, I get the impression they will. And I'm with you. I want to see. I want to be able to. You know, I'm buying an SSD and a motherboard and just add a phone, like a Zen phone, yeah, in UAG, right. or Amazon or whatever. I, or I, they bundle it or something. I yeah. mean, they they have a unique opportunity that they could make. They can make it work. You know, yes. um, and and explore. You know, obviously bridging that sort of PC space. You know, leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bringing that into the mobile with the new and, brand. And, you know, I look at what's been happening with T-Mobile, right? Like, this yeah. is clear that, I'm like, excited for that tomorrow. That's, really so excited. That's tomorrow where Wednesday. they have their, uh, yeah. their big Uncarrier announcement. Uncarrier 4.0. Yeah, and you, you recently switched to T-Mobile. Yeah, I did, and I've been kind of, like, waiting to write a big thing about here's why I switched, and... I don't know, I got behind on a bunch of stuff, but yeah. So, I want to ask you some more about T-Mobile and, and your experiences there. Uh, the other cool thing is I got to play with the Padphone Mini. Nice. Right, which was... Uh, it's kind of like a, I guess it's a four-inch device into a seven-inch tablet. Nice. Um, it's actually reasonable. Like it's, it's nice. the tablet's really light. Like it's, I can totally see the the use case. Right. And uh, you can separate the two or add them back in in the middle of a call. 
Oh, cool. Right? So you can answer a call in tablet mode and then realize that, hey, I want to keep doing this call and then uh -huh. pull the phone out um, and, you know, throw the tablet in your bag or purse or whatever uh -huh. and just continue the, the phone call. Um, but yeah, I thought ergonomics, I thought weight, I thought everything was done really yeah, well. I think ASUS does a good job. And I don't know, I'm, I'm impressed to see that they're finally actually coming to the U.S. Yes. Yeah, I, I hope this is the beginning of a lot. Right. Yeah, me too. Um, so I want to get to your Sony phone that yeah, you got. Yeah. But tell me a little bit more about T-Mobile. So uh, you, you were on AT&T. Yeah, and, you know, there's nothing wrong really with AT&T. I just felt like... You know, T-Mobile was starting to make a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, I had always advocated going to the operator that was the best for the industry. Yes. You know, obviously, you know, like Verizon especially, uh, you would just hear from OEMs, like, on background, or they would tell you just directly. <laughs> tell you, don't ever say this as you say this. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> they would always say the same thing. They would say, you know, like, well, Verizon is a difficult partner to work with, or yeah. something like that. And I think the industry in general, you know, has seen this huge revolution on the hardware side, yeah. right? Uh, and I don't want to say commoditization, but we've seen, you know, competition across price, hardware, you know, features, SOC, everything. Yeah. Uh, whereas, obviously, the network side in the United States really hasn't seen that sort of evolution. Um, and if anything, it's been kind of regressing, yeah. you know, in terms of pricing. We have LTE now. We don't have these other things, uh, like pricing and contracts that make sense. Yeah. So... I decided to finally put my money where my mouth went, my where my mouth is, or whatever idiom you choose, <laughs> and switch to T-Mobile because really, you know, I was paying for all these lines myself, yeah, um, for testing or what have you, and I could save essentially a hundred dollars a month yeah. on my plan, and that's just my experience. Um, so I did it, and it, it just made financial sense for me. Yeah, and really, there were like two or three things that came together. Obviously, launching LTE in a lot of markets, yeah, with ten megahertz at least, twenty in some. Um, launching band 2 1900 megahertz yeah WCDMA there for 3G makes it possible for me to use all these international phones mm -hmm. which is really what I need and on older phones and sort of solve the indoor you know indoor building propagation problems that I was yeah, having so but that's still an issue on LTE right the indoor yeah it's still an issue there yeah because um, that's the one thing but at I... least you get 3G sort of yeah you know I would say there definitely is a trade off with coverage on T-Mobile mm -hmm. but it's you know, I'd always had a T-Mobile, like, prepaid line that I would carry around. Yeah. And it's it's definitely improved as just a result of lighting up that carrier. Interesting. And as a result of, you know, them continuing to build out their network. Yeah. So those things, just the combination contributed. Obviously, then I can also have unlimited data. Um, and you, you know, haven't yet tried the international roaming. I haven't yet tried it. But, yeah, that actually, that was kind of the moment. I was in London when they made that yeah. announcement. And that's kind of when it, it clicked for me that, you know, this would be really useful to have. Yes. Um, I don't want to sound like a T-Mobile ad, but really, those were the things that kind of sold me. Yeah. And HD Voice. And now, I guess now AT&T is going to have HD Voice, mm -hmm. uh, AMR Wideband, really. Well, we've seen just in response to this, like, this is like the perfect example of what yeah, competition I mean, does, right? Yeah, we need we need that sort of disruption or, you know, like, that's a, that's a buzzword, but we really need an industry player that makes the other industry players move along, you know, yes. and start start, you know, making this more of a commodity. And I know that's scary for everybody, especially the operators, yeah. which probably means it's a good thing. But, <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. So in, in Raleigh, I went out and, you know, and prepped for this because I am in a similar situation. I have, like, five lines. Right. And not all of them need to be on AT&T. And so I went out, got a prepaid SIM, and started testing it. Sure. And there was definitely a reduction in performance. Huh. Um, 
still acceptable, yeah. but definitely Which is weird because I think you're in a 5 megahertz AT&T market. Yeah, I, you always expect my AT&T performance to be a lot lower than yeah. it is. But well, the maximum like, you can get is 36 megabits. Yes. Um, and I don't get that. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, let's say, range in the 12 to 28 megabit sure. range. Um, and I see a lot of that, you know, right. especially around 20. Uh, on T-Mobile, I'm typically maybe half that. Right. Um, huh. Still not bad, right? Especially if you're saving a considerable amount of money. Yeah. Um, one of my questions is that, is, yeah, there, is a problem. the backhaul, I feel like, isn't fully provisioned for a lot of the 10 megahertz markets they have. Interesting. So, I mean, they, that's just a function of they need to pay more. Yeah. Um, backhaul being, you know, you have the cell tower, but it still has to get on the internet. Somehow. Yeah. Back to the core network. So, yeah. I, like, even in my market, I, there are some cell sites that I, I feel like, even though there's no there's no traffic at all yeah. on it, and that's really what it is for me. It's it's not loaded at all. Yeah. Um, but performance really the backhaul is where it, it yeah it's not where it needs to be yeah. yeah I saw that actually a lot when I did Sprint LTE testing down in Atlanta. yeah Sprint is kind of in the same sort of position although you know <laughs> they I feel like their propagation story was even worse for a time yes but I don't know the T-Mobile story is an interesting international readers which I'm sure that we'll hear about but uh, I think in the US it's it's been a really unfortunate story for a while yeah and it's good to see at least some competition. No, I agree. I, I think that's it's a definitely a step in the right direction. So you got a Sony phone finally. Yep. Like this yep. showed up right before CES. Yeah, I mean they offered to send it before CES. Um, Are you allowed to show this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I believe so. You can do hands-on. So uh, yeah, I mean this is Z1s, which is a T-Mobile phone. Um, it's exclusive to T-Mobile, and it's essentially the Z1 but just for T-Mobile. Okay, so I admittedly, I haven't been following Sony phones that much. Um, yeah. So what's the Z1? Uh, like, what, Z1 is um, 8974, 2.2 gigahertz, 5-inch okay. display. 1080p? It's got the, yeah, a 1080p display. What kind of display is that? Uh, it's their own Sony display. It's not IPS. Okay, but it's um, an LCD technology. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's not AMOLED. The, uh... You know the camera is interesting because it's 20 megapixels and it's a big it's a big sensor. Oh really? Is it their over 2.3 inches? Yeah, it's their own Sony Exmor RS okay. sensor. 20 um, megapixels—that's a lot. Yeah, it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big number of pixels. <laughs> it's not. Um, do you know pixel size? I believe they're 1.1 micron. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, they have a lot of them. They also do that. You know, two by two bin. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm still testing it. Um, yeah, you've only. There'll be a review like a later. Yeah, I. Yeah, and reviews are embargoed for a while, um, which I think is okay to say. But uh, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, the uh, I, I, you know I'm impressed with Sony. Like just before that, I got the Z1 um, or Xperia Z Ultra. Okay. The uh, Google Play edition and the normal one. Yeah. And I was playing with those, and you know I think they've come a long way. Interesting. And it, it's yeah, very it surprising. Wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that Sony was just like a forever behind platform. Right. But now, not only on. You know they're on leading edge technology. You're saying that they're not bad, and and you can actually correlate that to what's going on with their notebooks too. Right. Yeah. Right? I feel like, like across the board they've really stepped it up because they are the first their, their Haswell Ultrabook that we have. That's the first one that that in the PC space that actually can rival MacBook Air in terms of battery life. Right. Right. Um, you know, which was interesting. Even, I, I assume for these the, LPDDR3 as well. I think so. Okay. Jared did that review. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I haven't taken it apart, but. Uh, it's interesting to me because prior to that review hitting, right, and I even talked to Microsoft about this, right, uh, around the Surface Pro 2 or Surface 2 Pro, whatever, uh, launch time frame, I just assumed that, you know, battery life on Windows was like a systemic OS problem. Right. 
And I did a call with Microsoft, and they were like, no, you got to look at the Sony thing. And, and we'd reviewed it at that right. point, and I looked at the graphs, and I'm like, you're right. This is, this is the first platform that we've reviewed in maybe forever. Yeah, I think, I think like Z Ultra, which was 8974, yeah. and, and Z1, and now Z1S, which is the T-Mobile-specific version. Yeah. Um, they've, they've started to become a very credible player once again. And there's also the smaller version, the Z, Z1 Compact. How, how much which smaller? Is, like, uh, I believe it's 4.3-inch diagonal. Okay. I mean, we wrote it up, but I, I can't remember off the spot. But <laughs> yeah. it, it's of a smaller size. You know, yeah. it's not 5 inches. So the thing that I really liked about what Motorola did with... I, I got to play with Remoto G, right. which I thought was right. awesome. Um, like, surprisingly It's surprisingly awesome. good, isn't it? It right. really is. Like, it's, it's, I would be totally fine recommending that if they had... Especially if they had LTE, that would be perfect. Sure. Um, but one of the things that really stands out to me about that and the Moto X... Uh, the Moto X is one of the Android phones that I just can't get out of my head because they, they really have really, really good feel. Like, it's yes. ergonomically a very good device to hold. Oh, right. Yeah, um, and that carries over to the G, I think, really well. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, it's a little more dense feeling. Yeah, um, it's a little wider. But that's what bothers me about this phone. It feels... I, it's nice and thin, and I like that. Sure. And I like that kind of slate design. Right. But it doesn't feel as nice as the Moto X. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that we're in the that part of the market cycle where industrial design is really important. Yeah. And I know that you know maybe people don't get that or we put too much emphasis, but it's it's you know I was talking to another OEM and they were like, well, everybody has it used to be. Do we have the good platform? Do we have yes. the best SOC? Now it's like everybody has that. You can buy it. Yeah. You know, just spend the right dollar amount. Yeah. So now it's things like, do you have the best camera? Do you have the best display? Do you have the best audio? Yes. And then industrial design, or you know, and rank the four yeah. however you want. But it's really those that differentiate now. Like everybody has Android. To some Which is extent. funny because this is that's the exact point we got to in the PC market not too sure. long ago. Right. Right. Exactly, uh, and it's the same thing. You know, it's just on an accelerated schedule. Right, and there's there's really only one player there. Right. Yeah. You know, you, maybe you have another. That sort of comes in with some competitive pressure. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, the mobile space is kind of the same, or at least in the in the Android microcosm. Yes. If we're not examining, you know, Windows Phone, which is really Nokia Phone, you yep. know. So the other big news in mobile was NVIDIA stuff that happened. Yeah. Right? So, so we're going totally out of chronological No, order. we are. It's yeah. just, I, I don't know why we're in this order, but <laughs> yeah. it's what's it's coming okay. in my head. Um, so Tiger K1, uh, what we thought was going to be called Tiger 5. Yes. Uh, We'll talk about the the big story Which makes here. it sound like it's the first real canonical it is. SOC, it's, which it's it the, basically is. It yeah. totally is. This is the first one that uses what they're good at. Well, yeah, like, what made NVIDIA actually you know, credible on the yeah, graphics absolutely. side. Yeah. So the cool part is this not only signals, and it's cool part for someone, for a mobile editor, and I know it's something that upsets Ryan Smith, our GPU editor, uh-huh. but this marks the beginning of mobile-first Sure. Architecture design right. uh, for NVIDIA, right? So Maxwell, everything going forward, it's designed first for mobile, and then you know they kind of scale up and right. do implement other implementations for desktop and notebook. Um, that's huge, right? right? That's that's actually what Intel did not too long ago, exactly um, on the CPU yeah. side. So, anyways, we get that, uh, and you know, with with K1, you get uh, a single SMX of Kepler, right? Right, and five A fifteens, yeah, five A fifteens. Four um, plus one. Four plus one. The GPU is really the exciting part of that. Yeah. Right? No, so I agree. The A15s are interesting because they are R3P3. They're the yep. latest rev of the And Cortex it's HPM A15. now. Yes. <laughs> so new process, um, new process, new rev of the core, and 
that rather card doesn't really change much on the performance side, but it right. uh, there's like more fine grain clock. Yeah, there's more power islands or something yeah. too. So better power efficiency, higher clock, better process. You know, you get some boost in power efficiency. Right. And and I wrote about this in our article, but I feel like whenever someone makes those claims, they kind of end up being irrelevant because they just ship it whatever the max frequency right. is, regardless. Um, right. Well, yeah, I feel like the clocks are decided after the fact, or you know, because well, like NV the competitive loves, pressure is increased. Yeah, they love doing these charts that are just hey, we can deliver the same performance at lower power. Yeah. But no OEM ever takes advantage of that. Right. Right? Every OEM well, they don't like, keep well, it at ISO, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They always want to say, okay, I can. I ran at 1.9 before. This can go up to 2.3, so I'm just going to run at 2.3. Right. Um, but even then, I, I think there's supposed to be some efficiency improvements on the CPU side. So that story is pretty decent. Yeah. Well, I mean, they said lower dynamic power, yes. essentially. Yeah. Uh, big process shift. That's, that's right. important. Right. Uh, I feel like that's what we've seen in mobile throughout, right? It's sure. It's just process enables everything else. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the state of things, it seems. Yeah. That and thermals. Yes. Which I guess are really the same problem, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, but the GPU is exciting, and it's really exciting to me because, you know, so... Full OpenGL on Android. OpenGL <laughs> on Android, full OpenGL on Android, ES, DX11, CUDA, like everything. Like, it's a full-blown Kepler. It's not... It did not lose anything. Even FP64 performances right. there, it right. lost nothing in translation... Uh, I, I guess like fewer ROPs, sure. um, but otherwise it lost nothing in transition to mobile, um, which I think is really cool. Yeah, right. No, it totally is. And you, you know, they did a bunch of demos and they put up this chart, and the chart's not, it's not perfect, right? But they put up this chart looking at raw horsepower and compute power yes, bandwidth yeah. for Xbox 360. This is what you've been, everybody's been talking about, and you've been trying to compute for a long time. It has yeah. been, right? And the idea is that you know everyone's been saying, hey, mobile devices are going to get to previous gen console level of performance then current gen yes yeah at the (laughs) time current current gen and k1 is the first time where we can actually you know viably make that argument right like so it's it's more compute than what was in xbox 360 or ps3 less memory bandwidth um, right you know there's some you know less texturing performance stuff like that but we're in the same range Right. right we're in the range where uh, Same order of magnitude, at least. Correct. Yeah. You know, I, I used to say that the the thing that kept deep gaming experiences off of mobile, uh, it was it was three factors. It was uh, user interface ergonomics, right? Mm. I can't play Halo right. on a screen. Um, there was the hardware. I couldn't physically port Halo over. And then there was the business case, right? No one's going to spend $50 million building a game that they're going to sell for five bucks. Right. I feel like K1 signals the beginning of the hardware argument going away. And right. we've seen a lot of guys doing, like, dockable controllers for phones. Well, and they were saying APIs, too. Exactly. You know, like, OpenGLES has its shortcomings. Correct, correct. And obviously you need to change your rendering engine and yeah. all this other stuff to make it fit within the nuances. So now you can just put the whole thing on there. Absolutely. So you can do all of that, right? It's it's an easier port than it's ever been before. <laughs> right. exactly. Uh, still not trivial, but I guess they said they ported Sirius Sam 3 over in, like, a right. week or yeah, something. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I'm surprised they didn't show any of that, really. Yeah, I, I'm not sure keynote. why. Yeah, um, I guess we're allowed to say that. Though, yeah, right. I think so. Well, <laughs> we just did. I know we took pictures of all a bunch of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There were a number uh, of games. So they showed Trine. That one definitely Trine too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's now possible to make that console transition over to mobile. And I don't know. I wouldn't mind carrying a phone in like a little controller case or something. Right. Right. And just 
play Halo or something like that if I'm waiting in line somewhere or if I'm just at CES waiting for my next meeting. Sure. Right? Like, <laughs> I think you don't it, want to gamble? <laughs> but so to me, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and so that gets announced. And even if, you know, they've had trouble getting design wins and stuff right. like that. But it at least raises the bar on graphics performance. Yes. And it raises it in, to an interesting point for me. Right. Uh, the other interesting part of this is they're going to offer a version of K1 by the end of this year with Denver. Right, right. They're a 64-bit ARM core. Um, they haven't said anything about it. Uh, pretty sure, based on every all of the stuff we've heard, that this is the binary translation code morphing architecture right. that NVIDIA was going to, you know, rumored to build an x86 chip based off of, but now it's, a, it's an ARM chip. Um, it's interesting to me, too, that there's so much emphasis on 64-bit oh, before... There is. There's even 64-bit Android. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 so. I mean, because we saw it up there, but it's like, well, you know, it says that, but it's still 32-bit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 very clear that 64-bit is now a must-have feature for this year. Yes. And to uh, like Herman said, I kind of prefer those types of transitions. Yeah. Right. I don't like this whole we're going to indefinitely move towards heterogeneous computing. I want like a smooth uh, or a very very swift sort of. Right. Hey, we're here today, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, the although I feel like even the, I feel like even though you know Qualcomm has Snapdragon four ten. Yeah. Um, the mid range will take a long time. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so A fifty three was their first. That precedes A fifty seven in chronologically. Right. So I don't know. Maybe we will see it right. quicker than the high end. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I just. I think that there's a longer tail there. Yeah. You know, that's true. like their adoption cycles are longer. Um, but even I don't know how, how, like how fast they're refreshing it. Bit, and that's, that's sure, their sure. entry level That's speed. important, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm just glad to see it as a swift transition. Yeah. Um, no, me too, definitely. But we did a bunch of analysis about Denver in the article. Um, nothing's confirmed yet, but I, I, I'm fairly it was, it was fairly surprising that they showed that. I agree. Yeah, they showed it running. Yeah. Um, I, I'm... I feel like there's a lot of, I say this as a former Transmeta user, I feel like there's a lot of potential for, you know, that being a very low power design. The question is how much performance do you give up to get there? Right. Um, and what other... Then in the 4 plus 1 went away. Yeah. The plus 1 went away. Thank God. Like, yeah. that's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's funny to me that we, we've really come for full circle, right? Right. From two cores to five of five to eight, you know, yeah. for some of these other yeah. guys. Right. Back down to, oh, no, really, you just need two really yeah. good cores. Um, Even though some players that went from one to two and just stayed at two. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good to see, actually, I'm, I'm kind of happy that Merrifield is a two-core design. Yeah. Because um, I, I think uh, I would rather use that die area for delivering better single-threaded performance. Right. Because I, I think that's still paramount in, in mobile. But it's, it's funny, yeah, it definitely is a markability issue. In yeah. Some, you know... Especially in China, you want to see the four cores, even if they're A7s or A5s. I say, you know, I always hear that argument, but I always feel like people get over it, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you give I don't them know a enough about what, what that phenomenon is. Yeah. It's the, you know, someone buying at Best Buy and has no idea what they're yeah. doing, right? Like, they're just like... Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't understand what it is either. <laughs> but um, I think that it, it's weird that that's become another checkbox feature. I know. And that and it's a people will feature. look at it as a regression. Just yeah. superficially. Well, which is why they're calling them super cores, right? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, they even knew it, yeah. right? 
super duper cores is what we'll have next. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, guys, I want to thank you for, uh, for watching. Uh, we'll be bringing you CES coverage all week. Uh, and thanks to, to Intel and Intel Studios for putting all this together for us.